This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching, so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hi everyone, Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress, where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Today on Work in Progress, I am so thrilled to share my conversation with a woman that is just such a badass. She's whip smart funny, accomplished, and completely inspiring. Miss Emma Greed. Emma is an entrepreneur and the co-founder and CEO of Good American, a premium apparel label which promotes a healthy body ideal through a full and inclusive size range. The launch of Good American in 2016 was the biggest apparel launch in history, with sales reaching upwards of $1 million on the very first day further proving the massive need for a company that was designed with every kind of body and every kind of woman in mind. Emma also serves as the chairman of ITB, a company representing brands' interests in the world of entertainment. In addition to her business ventures, Emma is a board member on Women for Women International, which is an organization that helps women survivors of war rebuild their lives, and a board member of Baby to Baby, an organization that provides children living in poverty ages 0 to 12 years with diapers, clothing, and all the basic necessities that each and every child deserves. In my conversation with Emma, we discuss female choice and female empowerment, the importance of representation, the ego, and how it relates to building and running a company, Emma's early years growing up in London, her love of fashion, her career path, and how she reached the level of success she has today, her company Good American, and so much more. Enjoy. I'm really, really excited that you're here today. Thank you for taking the time because you are like a superwoman who's incredibly busy. <laughs> Not at all. I'm so happy to to be able to sit here with you and have a conversation. It's like the best part of my day. Well, 
same and I'm <laughs> flattered and you you're one of those people who I watch and I'm always like how does she do this because you run companies and you're this incredible entrepreneur and you always are the most stylish person in the room and you also have <laughs> perfect skin every time I see you I'm like what are you doing? I'm just really sweaty. Face? Like, how do you, <laughs> you look? People like mistake it for a glow. I'm just always hot and running around so much that well, I have this. It's really sweat working. Feel. <laughs> it's like really, really working, and it looks. Very yeah, but my editorial. skin is my thing. You know, like all girls have a thing. You either have like great hair and amazing backside, or like, do you know what I mean? Like, you have a right. thing. My skin is my thing. I have good skin. <laughs> I have pretty good skin, but I want to get to your level of skin. We're going to talk about this later. That's not the point of the podcast. Also, how annoying for everyone listening at home because they can't see you. And so they're like... And also, I can say that on a cool. podcast. I, mean, I have great skin. <laughs> but you do. And it's nice that you can own that. Like, it's 2020. We better own our Come shit. Come on. you got to know what you've got good. Yeah. Absolutely. I think we deserve it. Um, so before we started recording, we actually were, were sort of recounting how we met, which was such like a fateful evening of a love connection. Isn't it, Jess? We did a pot, uh, panel together. Mm-hmm. I was about to say a podcast. We're doing that now. We did a panel before. Um, we did a panel together that was talking about this sort of, I suppose, intersections of branding and, you know, thus having a public persona and and activism and what showing up as businesswomen looks like. And I was just so impressed with you, which I think was clear because I talked to you for 90% of the panel. <laughs> But also, we did, we, we did do each other. In fairness, no, we really did, and we we did. We thought it was just us. Yeah, we did very well, though. Um, I think we really, to what you were saying earlier, we managed to get into some arenas of talking about business and just talking about being a woman in the world. Yeah. That, as you've said, even now have been effective for people in that audience. You still Absolutely. hear from people who came to that talk. Yeah, which is just one of those wonderful things. And I think the reason or part of the reason that I like to do these things is because of that feedback loop, right? The idea that you can sit in a room after work with 60 women and have a conversation that really was quite fulfilling for me on a personal mm. level and yet have that impact in people's lives. And I, you know, one of the reasons that I love podcasts is because they feel so personal. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I get so much out of them. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm listening to a conversation that I otherwise wouldn't, you know, have the liberty to be in on. And so, you know, for me, it's that intimacy that we are lacking in so many parts of our lives now. So, you know, and, and for me, it's just, you know, I love that you know, what do we, we say, you know, the IRL experience. I love nothing more than sitting in a room and then being able to impact what people are thinking and what they're talking about. And then to just get that feedback loop of someone coming back and going, you know what, you made me feel like it was all right to leave my kids for four days to go on this thing that was really important for my company. And just Mm -hmm. the fact that you said it and you had done it that week meant it was all right for me. And so that for me is really important stuff. Yeah. And that, that, the world didn't come crashing down when I took time for myself. Exactly. What it a, very rarely does. Yeah. But, but we so often, I think, especially as women, are made to feel that it will. Yeah. And, and if you're working, then why aren't you at home? And if you're at home, why don't you want to have a job? And if you're a mom, didn't you want to have a career? And if you have a career and don't have a baby yet, don't you want to have a baby? It's totally. A, it's, there's always a thing. There's, it, you know, it's always a thing for women. And, you know, I talk about it from my point of view. And I think one thing that I've learned in doing these, you know, I'm always talking about uh, leaving my kids or, you know, what my priorities are in my company. I also think it's really important that we talk about it the other way around for those women that have chosen to stay at home and to do the school school drop every day which isn't my reality Mm. and I think you know again 
part of the reason I love Good American so much is because I'm running a company that's all about female choice, right? Giving mm -hmm. women the right to choose what they want to wear, to not be dictated to, to be able to feel confident in their everyday lives. And I really, truly believe in those things. And so I think that as women, we need to give ourselves a little bit of a break because we're all doing different things. We're all at different stages, mm. but it needs to be okay whatever we choose. The point is it's our choice, yes. right? And that's what we're having the conversation about. Whatever's good for you is good for you. And what we just shouldn't bring to the situation is so much judgment. Mm -hmm. I'm not judging you if your choice is to be, you know, a stay-at-home mom and to raise your children and to be at the school gates every day. That's wonderful as long as you can live with your decision and not be judgmental about mine. And I think that's the biggest single thing about women. We need to yeah. learn to turn the judgment off. And that's yes. what I really purposefully try to work on every single day. Mm. And as a boss, give the women and the men within my organization the choice to do both or to have it their way. I think mm -hmm. that's really key and harder to do when you're in business, right? It's like, you yeah. can say these things, but you've got to make the choices and the decisions every day within your business to allow that to be a reality. Yeah. Which require more work and more awareness. But yeah. if you do it, your not only does the morale in your company go up, so does your return on investment. Completely. Because people, look, at the end of the day, we all know that the way we work now, there's no such thing as a nine to five, right? Pretty much everybody, regardless of level, is answering emails outside of traditional work hours. Right. Then that becomes about how do you feel about the company that you work for? Are you mm -hmm. in a mission and a purpose-based business where you believe so much in the values of that business that you're willing to give of yourself outside of your work hours? And then does that business respect you and what you care about enough that on the flip side, you're able to do the things that you care about, whether that's uh, turning up for a recital for your kids or getting out of work early so you can pursue one of your passions, you know, all of those things. For me, the whole idea idea of employing people and running a business has become completely different to the way I was doing it 10 years ago. Mm. And that's been a big eye opener. And it really is about, you know, we're talking about a mutually beneficial contract, right? It's like you do a job, you get paid for it. But then when you're asking so much of people, then you really need to then get into a, a bigger kind of idea of what a social contract is between yourselves and your employees and how that works mm. and then create the conditions internally for that to be a reality in the business. And how does everyone not only have a good job, but a good quality of life? Right. It's a, of course you, you need both. It's yeah. imperative. And I know that, you know, it's, I, yeah. I make sure that, you know, again, it's really just about the small things. It's not necessarily groundbreaking. You know, I'm not Apple or Google over here and I don't have the budgets to do that but by offering really simple things and putting in principles where you know what the company stands for and therefore you know it's okay mm. to take vacation that the boss takes vacations mm -hmm. that it isn't like oh, all of a sudden you're not considered for a promotion or you're not thought of in the same way because you take a few weeks holiday a year like some of the stuff is just really simple yeah but creates such a major shift. Absolutely. I does. wonder, you know, when we talk about your story, we're, we're talking about where you are today and what you've learned and how, what you're building. But how did this all start? You know, <laughs> who was who was Emma as a little girl? Were you were you into clothes and fashion? Oh, my God. When you were yeah. little. And it's so funny because people ask me about this all the time. I come from like literally the most unglamorous place on earth like it was completely devoid of any sense of um you know 
anything. Like there was no fashion around me. You know, I, I came from a place in East London that's pretty desolate, actually. It was like a crime-ridden horror of a place. But we had this amazing sense of community. And, mm. um, you know, I worked from a super young age and, you know, like I had a paper round and I would spend my money back in the newsagents on magazines and that was really my first foray into understanding fashion and that I wanted to be part of that it was the era of the supermodels and you know I used to look at the catwalks Versace and Chanel and these you know Claudia Schiffer and Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell how much hasn't changed but you know and that was really for me it was this escapism that you could look at something so beautiful and so different from everything I was seeing around me um and I so badly wanted to be a part of that. But for me at that point, it was collaging, you know, it was cutting things out of Vogue mm. magazine and sticking them down on a piece of paper and then getting back onto my paper round and trying not to get my bike stolen on the way to school. You know, it was pure fantasy. Mm. And I think that as I, um, as I got older, I just, you know, I really was raised with that idea that whatever I wanted to do was possible. And so I just tried to get closer and closer to fashion into the glamour of that whole situation where does that come from that idea because so many people who grow up in places where there is not a lot of opportunity mm -hmm. whether it's an opportunity desert a food desert an education desert don't feel like they can get out of that so yeah. where does the ethos of I'm growing up in a community without fashion and without art and without a lot where does it come from and and how did you how did you hold that idea through your childhood? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because when you say without art, for me, the concept of art was, it, it's a complete non-concept in my early life. Um, and education, again, it was just about trying to make it through the school day without getting hurt or mm. without something horrendous happening. Your school was Yeah, violent. rough. I mean, mm. super, you know, when, when I talk about, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't safe. It was a, a very, very kind of scary neighborhood. And while you had the sense of community, you were just really trying to get through the day. I never remember a time where I was particularly focused on education in my mm. young school life. Um, but what I had was a really supportive family and a mother who did a great job as a single mom raising four girls in just installing this belief in me. She was like, you want to be in fashion? Like you could literally be Karl Lagerfeld. And I was like, yeah, like I could, you know, and literally I think I was just told that and I believed it. And so when the opportunity arose or when, you know, I made it out of high school and the choice was, are you going to do higher education? Are you going to go and do something more vocational? I really, you know, had a singular focus and that was to get into the London School of Fashion because in my head, that was, that was fashion. That was where it was at. That's where I was going to learn to be part of this business. Mm. And that was very far away from me. I didn't have the grades. I didn't have the money to go to that school. School, I just don't think I understood any of that at the time. So I just let my naivety and my kind of dreamy nature carry me into thinking I could be part of that. And actually, when I look at my career as a whole, I think naivety served me really well throughout my whole career. I've gone into things with a mentality of, of course I can, because I can do anything without really understanding that much. And in a way that's been pretty good because I've just kind of bulldozed into situations and made it happen. And I think that the lesson there is that, you know, if you're willing to work really, really hard, because I'm not making this sound easy, I worked really hard. And I think from the age of 16 through 20, 
maybe 22, 23, I worked seven days a week. So I would study four days a week and then I would work some evenings and I would definitely work Friday, Saturday, Sunday in retail. So I worked all the time. You were working in retail and did you have another job as well? Yeah, I would in, so I was an intern in a PR company and Mm. working retail and then at college. Yeah. And so I'd just skip some when I got a bit tired. I'd decide, what do I need, money or should I get, am I about to get kicked out of college? So I'd choose. It was very discerning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're like, I only have so many slices of pie here and I got to shift them around. You just got to shift around. But you know, for me, that was, you know, I had to, you know, I had to make ends meet. I moved out of my house fairly early. I was 17 when I left home. And so it was just about, you know, you choose your choice. You have to figure it out. And you know, I lived in an apartment where I didn't have a fridge or an oven. I used to keep milk and butter on a balcony of a high rise uh, apartment in another terrible area of London. But for me, that didn't really matter because I got on the train every day and I went into central London and I went to the London College of Fashion. And so that was my focus. And I think so often in life where you where you put your focus and your energy, like for me, my life couldn't be better. I was like, so what if I don't have a fridge? Like, I'm at the London College of Fashion. Yeah, you're you know, like, who like, needs a fridge? Hello, whatever. You know, because I was getting closer to my dreams and my mm. idea of what I had tried to create for myself. Mm. And so you just, you know, I'm very good at compartmentalizing and focusing on things. And I love that you're sharing that because there's this weird thing today, and I think it relates to how all of us move in the world, where everyone just sees the success. Oh, yeah. No one sees the hustle. No one sees the tears. No one sees the struggle. No one sees when you're trying to figure out how to pay your bills. And it's created this thing, I think, especially for young people, where like kids are graduating from college and just assuming that they're supposed to run a company. Oh, totally. And I, I look back and I'm like, you know how much insane retail I used to work totally. and the double shifts I used to take and the attitude and the, oh. you know, it's like, it was not easy for anyone there's, to get to any level no, of success. Yeah. There's almost no such thing as an overnight success, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like everyone has, you know, uh, sung in the dive bars and done the shit shifts and, you know, yeah. like we, we've all done that. And I think that, you know, the sad thing about, you know, growing up now is that we have Instagram and we have social and it points that, you know, it paints this really, you know, you'll have some wonderful girl who's happy to show her stretch mark, but we really don't understand how she got there. Right. Like it, mm. it just, it kind of just gives you the ending of everything without kind of giving you the story and the journey to get there. Mm. And I think one of the most important things, you know, certainly for me is that I had so much rejection and so many things that didn't work and so I always try whenever I'm talking to like not focus but also just like own up because the Mm. only reason I can do what I do at Good American now is because of all the mistakes I've made in other businesses in Mm. other situations of all the money that I've lost or the things that haven't gone so well or the mistakes you know it's like if I think of myself as a a relatively good employer now it's because at one point I wasn't so good and Mm. so I do think that just being just owning some of that stuff we have to be honest about especially for women right I look at my husband and I you know this is something that frustrates me constantly that 
he seemingly has this network of people to call and to lean on in everything. And I'm talking about, you know, people that would otherwise be considered competition, people that are in the same business as him, maybe ahead of him or, you know, behind him in whatever ways, but they are able to kind of forge these networks and, and lean on one another. Mm. And I think as women, we are not as good at doing that you know we're becoming better and we're having a lot of conversations about it as we do with women we're great at talking but actually forging the relationships and being able to rely on one another especially when it comes to business right because we're in this unique situation that for a lot of women we are simultaneously raising families or trying to you know start businesses and working through some of the inevitable problems and issues that come up in that it's not something that we're so good at beyond the sharing part of it it's like mm -hmm. okay well how are we solving this together mm -hmm. it's you know it's past the conversation what's the action item what's the action item like are you going to introduce me to the person that you know is your banker like are you yeah you know will you give me those you know contacts for financing you know are you willing to actually get into the arena and be someone that's you know actually part of furthering mm. things for women. And I think that's something that we're still struggling with a little bit. My friend Lovey talks about this idea and-, and She's she, called Lovey? Yeah. Oh, what a name. Lovey Ajayi, she's Lovie. incredible. She's, an, art, <laughs> she's a, an author and a speaker and she's just a badass. And and she talks, she talks to women about what it really means to show up for each other. And she gives these incredible talks on race and on- community. And she said something last year that rocked me and I've never forgotten it. And I think whether we're talking about how we show up for each other across racial lines, across gender lines, across business arenas, whatever it is, she said, I have enough allies. I'm sick of allies. What I want is accomplices. Right. She's like, I want to know that if I'm getting arrested, you're getting arrested. I want to know. And it makes me think of that. Like when you say, will you introduce me to the person who financed your company so they might finance mine? Like that's an accomplice. 100%. And that's all I want in my life. Right? That's it. Yeah. It's like we can have a lot of dinners around, you know, female empowerment. But at the end yeah. of the day, are you following up? Are yeah. we actually going to have a real conversation after? And are you willing to help? Yes. You either are or you're not. Yes. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, cool, cool. Talking's cute. Yeah. But where are yeah. we going? Let's like get some action. Yeah. For sure. I'm like, are we putting on like ski masks <laughs> and going to, you know, burn it down and build it again? What are we doing? Yeah. Um, I mean, that obviously metaphorically, I'm not encouraging anyone <laughs> to commit a crime. Just to be clear, you can't see my face. Um, so I'm curious, again, in, in the interim, because you talk about the lessons that you learn. Mm -hmm. What happens, you're, you know, you're working all of these jobs, you're at the London School of Fashion, you're trying to figure out how you're going to get here. And I imagine that if you could go back and look at yourself in school and say, just wait, <laughs> like how much that would rock your world. But what, what happens next when you graduate from fashion school? What do you, what does a person do? Well, ain't that just the thing? First of all, I didn't graduate. So that's... Hey, I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't graduate. So I, <laughs> I skipped that part. No, you know what? For me, it got really tough because I couldn't make ends meet. And I was like, I did an internship where I learned so much in this short space of time that I kind of looked at that? what I was doing. So funny. It was a Gucci. Oh, hey, yeah, girl. It was a Gucci. And it was that magical season where I will never forget it. It was like, you know, Gwyneth and Madonna and Chelsea Clinton 
sat on the front row. So that's when I was an intern. Someone has to do the math and figure it out. But I was, I had learned so much in that moment um, that I decided that I was like, look, I just can't do this anymore. I was, I had this train journey that was kind of killing me and I need, I couldn't balance the money and the education and the job. And I was like, okay, Emma, what are you going to do? So I decided to drop out of college um, and start working. And that's just was, you know, for me, that was my choice. But again, I was really focused because I thought, you know what, I'm learning so much in these internships. I'm going to take that route and that's going to carry me in into a job and thankfully it did you know if you work for free for long enough someone's going to pick you up off the floor and say you've done a good job you can take a small salary here Mm -hmm. and that's what I did so I really focused my energies on one particular company where I felt like there was room for someone like me and when I say that I was very focused on that I got into this uh, event production company And I thought there's no one who really loves fashion as much as I do here and is willing to do the dirty work. And so for a long time, it was literally packing production boxes, making sure there was the right amount of gaffer tape because you needed gaffer tape on everything. You know, I was like literally taping the floor. Nobody can put up a, you know, hair and makeup table and a bench, at a you know, catwalk show quicker than I can. So, but that was literally my job. You know, it sounds really wonderful. You're at a fashion show production company. It was not wonderful. You're basically mm-hmm. like ordering the wood to make the catwalk. Um, yeah. But again, I saw some kind of, you know, I just knew that that was going to work out for me because at the end of the day, hard work always had. Mm. And so I just kept thinking about what does the future hold for me? If I do this job well enough, am I going to make the right relationships? Do I find myself in the right context frequently enough that I can see some kind of end to this part of it? And I could, you know, for me, I was constantly surrounded by the people that I felt fed by, like the creatives, the designers, the stylists. And though they weren't my contemporaries, I was close enough to them that I could see it. And I was learning a lot. And I've always chosen in any job that I've had, like, am I learning enough here Mm. that even if you're doing not so great work, um, you're taking something from it. And so for me, that was a a fair compromise to make Mm. at the time. I yeah. love that. And so, you know, I was very lucky. I think like my kind of break in life came, you know, when I was almost like rescued out of that production company. I think for my younger self, I, I, the lesson for me was that I stayed in places for too long. I could have probably chipped out a little bit earlier. Something about that. <laughs> right. You can, but you feel you're so comfortable and then you start to believe that your value is tied to that particular place or circumstance. And so for me, that was this huge learning. I was like, I can do this anywhere. In fact, I could do it for myself. Um, and so I took another job where my remit was a bit, a bit bigger. I, uh, and I remember it scaring me. I remember my own job description scaring me because I thought, I don't think I can do this. Like I'm very good at getting in a situation and winging it. And then the reality fell on me and I was like, oh, can I meet these targets? Am I going to be able to, you know, close this business outside of my comfort zone? Am I going to be able to do this in another place, at another desk with a different bunch of people? And you just inevitably just get on with it, right? I got into a new company, which is where I met uh, my husband 
and I guess my first real business partners in Jens and Eric. And they really gave me a lot of rope. They were like, you go for it. You now, know? what was this company? What happened? <laughs> it was called the Saturday Group. Um, and, you know, they, they had a wildly successful group of agencies in and around fashion advertising and mm. PR and wholesale selling and lots of things. And, you know, they were very successful and ended up selling that company to Omnicom. And through a number of transitions, I started in one place in that company and then worked my way up to the time where they actually said, you know what, you really ought to, we're going to set you up on your own. Um, and I started a company called ITB, mm. which, you know, that was like my first proper thing. I think I was 24 and those guys gave me, you know, really the infrastructure to be able to do what I did very well, which was go out on broker partnerships with talent and with mm. brands. But they gave me, you know, they gave me everything and more than anything, they gave me a chance. They were very young themselves, but to them, a 24 year old managing director wasn't as scary to them as it was to me (laughs) you know they were like no you're amazing of course you're going to be able to do this and I was like well if they think I'm good enough then I must be and so that was really the beginning of me being uh in charge of a company and in charge of my own time and Mm. beginning to understand how to build something. And I was very lucky in both Jens and Eric that I had almost a blueprint, right? They were going around and they were building agencies and acquiring agencies and then putting them together in a whole company. And I was like, I'm going to watch and learn and, and model this out for myself. What do you think looking back were some of the best lessons that you learned working so closely under those guys and then eventually getting ready to launch your own company like what stand out what what lessons stand out to you now it's really interesting there are so there are so many lessons and I think that even to this day you know I'm really lucky that I've had great business partners and I do remember in the early days the end saying to me you know money is really easy to come by and great partners aren't and I think that's something that's true of today especially when you mm. have a beautiful gleaming startup like good American right the money's easy like people mm. are you know chomping at the bit to to come and to invest in our company because it's very successful and the numbers look glorious but you know good partners strategic partners people that are going to be with you in the thick and in the thin and and as you grow and scale a company which inevitably it's always difficult um those partners are much harder to find and so I think I learned that money was cheap really early on I knew that Mm. so I was never you know fishing around for the people with the biggest checkbooks I was fishing around for the best strategic partners and I kind of gave myself and actually it was great even good American when we did our first first and and only round to date um it was much more about you know who are the right strategic business partners and then the second question is am I willing to have dinner with you (laughs) right because it's like I don't want I don't want investors that I'm you know not not happy in a room with and that don't share my vision Mm -hmm. and don't offer any strategic alignment and Mm so you know knowing that and having that in my head from a very early age was important and then the other thing was really around people and I think that's one of the biggest single things to me because nobody does it alone investing in your people, understanding that your workforce, you know, my my PA says it best. He says the the bottom holds up the top and it's really, really true. So you have to surround yourself with really great people. And I'm like, I don't know what the opposite to a micromanager is, but I'm the opposite of a micromanager. (laughs) The idea is to employ the best people and then get out of their way. And that has been my ethos in business entirely. And that at some points has meant me paying 
people that come to work for me more than I'm paying myself in some businesses. And so that's, you know, if you have a big ego, that can be a kind of um, hard thing to swallow early on. But for me, it was about the company. What am I building and what am I trying to create here? And sometimes you need different expertise other than your own and you have to pay for those handsomely. So Mm -hmm. you've got to get out of your own way. You know, you have to park your ego to the side. I really love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Stress, sleep, recovery, whether we're in the gym or at work, these things shape how we perform. I know that personally, I'm constantly trying to reduce my stress levels. Hello, 2020, anyone? And really, considering the year we've all had, I'm guessing most of you are relating. That's why I'm excited to share something I've recently added to my daily routine. It's made a world of difference in my stress levels. It's called NuCalm. NuCalm is the world's only stress management system of its kind. It's clinically proven in over a million sessions to improve your sleep, reduce your stress, and boost your recovery with no drugs or side effects. The NuCalm system uses cutting-edge neuroscience and consists of three non-invasive and non-pharmaceutical items, all of which are included in your monthly subscription, and they cost less, you guys, than a daily cup of coffee. The whole process is not only easy to use, but it's easy to work into your daily routine. Trust me, routine is my nightmare, so if I can do it, anybody can. I use NuCalm every afternoon when I start feeling that intense pressure of the day wearing on me, and within minutes, I am telling you, I am more relaxed and calm. And after my NuCalm session's over, I feel totally recharged. I'm focused, I'm ready to tackle the rest of my day, and have an amazing night. And I'm really into how simple it is to use. You apply a NuCalm biosignal processing disc to your left wrist. I know it sounds so high tech. It's like a little sticker. You open the NuCalm app and you connect your headphones. You put on your NuCalm eye mask. Yes, they send you one of those too. And you sit back and you listen to their proprietary neuroacoustic software. It delivers specific frequencies that slow your brainwave functions to levels that are required for optimal relaxation and recovery. No drugs. No waiting for results, no need to go into an office. It's all natural, it works in minutes, and you can do it at home. So take control of your stress levels and improve your sleep and recharge your mind. You can do what I did and own the day with NuCalm. I have a special link that's set up specifically for my listeners. If you go to wipnucalm.com, you will get 50% off your 30-day subscription of NuCalm, and there's a money-back guarantee. So honestly, what are you waiting for? I'm going to spell that out for you. It's wipnucalm.com. That's wipnucalm.com. Enjoy. You said something. It struck me in such a way... But then you said something else and my brain just followed you there. And I'm like, what was Was it something about hiring good people and getting out of their way? (laughs) It was the point before, oh, when you were talking about who you take money from. Yeah. It stands out to me when when you're referencing who you're willing to allow to invest because you say, what I want to have dinner with you. My version of learning that lesson, being in workplaces with toxic people, everyone always says, well, life's too short. 
And what I learned is life is way too fucking long <laughs> to be surrounded by a bunch of people you can't stand who make you want to gouge your own eyes out or 100%. like poke out your own eardrums. Yeah. You know? Right? You're with these people forever. All the time. More like than you're with day. your spouse, your friends, anyone. So you better like those people. 100%. And you know, that's another thing that as a woman, you are kind of told, you know, you don't have to get on with everyone. It's like, really? Well, I actually yeah. do. In fact, I need to get on with the vast majority of people. And we don't mm -hmm. all need to to be the same type of person that's something no. different but you know I'm on a company or in a company that's on a mission and Good American really is on a mission and so you either get it and you believe in that and because what we're doing isn't easy you need people that are of the right mindset that are willing to go the extra mile mm -hmm. and not go oh well that's not the way things are done and so we'll just skip over that no I need the people that have the same idea as me mm -hmm. that care as much as me and are willing to like fight those issues and, and those. that want to change the way things are yeah. things are are done like well 100%. it's not the status quo it's like yeah isn't the whole point that we want to change the status quo yeah that we want to that we want to elevate what people consider to be baseline normal yes. or possible yeah that is the entire mm. that's the entire point and I think that you know for me it is your people are your single best asset in any mm. company. And so, like I said, just having them aligned with you is one thing. Yeah. But, you know, then you've got to think about keeping people and bringing them on a journey. And also, you know, we're all at this point in time obsessed with ourselves and obsessed with our careers. And so you've got to be able to make space for people and create the, you know, the right type of company that mm. people can grow in and really see themselves as part of in the long-term future. Yeah, a space that offers fulfillment on yes. more than just a working level. Absolutely. So as you were building all of this and, and you and you built and launched your company, you know, you mentioned that you began working with your now husband. <laughs> yeah. Was that a crazy thing to be parallel pathing work and your romantic relationship? Or did it just feel like an adventure? <laughs> it's so funny because now- I only now, ask because I've mean, done it and done it terribly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember thinking very early on, this is a really bad idea. And if this doesn't work out, it impacts so much more than just like having a bad boyfriend, right? Mm. Um, I So I think it's really important to say, I married a Swedish man and, and that will mean more to other people that are married to Swedish men or women. But you know- my husband has a really good way of being able to uh, have separation. There has mm. never been any special preference for me. And I actually, if anything, as you know, two people that were in a relationship and in business together, I always got the benefit of his unfiltered feedback and thoughts. And in a way, mm. that's been super, super helpful for me. You know, I'm not embarrassed to say that Jens is a huge mentor of mine. And we have a way of working together that's pretty that's pretty unique you know we're able to have a business relationship together and mm. we talk about work all the time people say you know do you have a rule you get through the door and you don't ever speak about business I'm like afraid not we talk about it all the time but that's because we really love what we do and we're in a unique and privileged situation to be able to do things that we really really love because you're not just talking about work you're actually talking about your passion a hundred percent and that's mm. the big thing and also to have a partner that in you know understands my passion so not only is you know okay like let's uproot our kids and our whole life and move halfway across the world but someone who gets it and so mm. when I'm talking about the intricacies of the business he fundamentally understands it so that's really important it never was something that you know I I felt for a second maybe this isn't the right thing to do but then you know when you love someone you love someone and you just 
get on with it and go for it. And thankfully, you know, I'm 12 years in and it's, it's still okay. <laughs> yeah. You got to put your fear aside when it's, yeah, when it's, when it's, when it's working and when yeah. it's right. Yeah. I love that. How did you guys decide to uproot your life and move here? And when was it? And, and what was the sort of catalyst for the decision? Um, you know, really, it was very much led by Good American. You know, I did the the world's most stupid thing, which was to start a company on one side of the world when you live on the other side. And it became so apparent so quickly. I would say in the days leading up to the launch of Good American, you know, you get a feeling, right? You know, when you've started businesses, you know, when you're onto something. Mm. Um, and I even, I remember Chloe saying to me, you know, like I posted this thing and I usually get X amount of comments and you know, I got double. And I was like, well, that's amazing. You know, maybe people are really excited that you're, you know, starting a business that they care about. Wow. And you, you know, there started to be this feeling that we were generating an enormous amount of excitement and goodwill and it wasn't just press you know it's like of course when you work with Khloe Kardashian you get lots and lots of press but it was beyond that it was the commentary that came along with all of that this kind of you know joyful you know fist pumping the air of like yeah this is exactly mm. what we've been waiting for and it was really joyful and so I definitely had the feeling before launch and then the launch happened and you know it shall go down in history and I've told this story so many times before so I won't over over egg it but you know I underestimated the size of the launch it was wildly successful at Good American we did a million dollars of sales on the first day and we were out of stock and so then we had a completely different set of problems which is how do you you know you've got this incredible appetite and a customer waiting to buy your product and you have nothing to give them and if you know about clothing production you know it doesn't turn around in a couple of weeks so no. you've then got eight to 12 weeks where we were like what's next? How are we going to make this work? What are we going to do? And so I really took the gamble that this was going to work out. And even if it didn't, it felt like a calling. And so for me, I really felt that for the first time I'd found myself in this storm of when there's such alignment and such, you know, excitement about what you're doing. I was like, I need to be there. You know, I need to do this. Um, and my husband was so supportive at the time we had a three-month-old baby mm. um, and a toddler and he was like you need to move to LA and we should just do that and so within the next three months we were packed up and we were living here in a rental and I was going to work in Culver City <laughs> which is so different you know I couldn't even drive I was like how am I going to live in LA and not drive you know where are the taxis that you hail on the street Thank God um, it really was this yeah <laughs> it really was this huge life change and you know you know when you have a baby you know for me it's not the same for all women but you know three months in you are really not of your right mind you are still scrambled eggs you've got this tiny little human you've then got two of them and a brand new business so it's like I had these like three kids that were all pulling at different parts of my heart and mm. um you know, I just thought being in the same time zone would be sensible. So moving here was, it, the decision was made for me essentially. And, you know, Chloe being the brilliant business partner that she is was so supportive and, you know, really helped me like with all the things that, you know, you need, that you doctors and dentists and where to go and get my hair done and, you know, and all the soft stuff. And I kind of arrived to that this amazing list of things and recommendations. And so I kind of settled in pretty easily and quickly and was able to get on with it and get on with the business. That's amazing. Yeah. Lucky. So when we talk about leading up to launch, knowing that this was a big deal, you know, there, there was essentially like a drumbeat happening yeah. of women saying, we want this. 100%. And what strikes me is that you built a company meant to service every kind of body. Yeah. But really, 
and especially since we got to know each other, I follow you so closely now and, and your business so closely because I understand it from knowing you. And rather than it just being a brand, I know that it's a movement. Yeah. And what I realized in watching the brand grow after that first night we hung out is that it's a brand for every kind of body, but it's for every kind of woman 100%. with every kind of life. Yes. And to your point, that means women who are moms, women who are not moms, women who are into career, women who are short and curvy and women who are tall and thin and women who are tall and curvy and women who are short and thin and women who are in between and women who are athletes and women who are, the list goes on. Yeah. And no one has ever really catered to all of us before. And if I may, I don't think that was something that a lot of the sort of haters out there in the world, because there are plenty, might have expected from a Kardashian. Absolutely. And, and, and that was one of the best things about it, because it hit everybody upside the head, right? That's not the what you mission. expected from Chloe. Yeah. And I think that she is so smart, because whatever we... And, you know, there are so many opinions about the Kardashian family and God knows I am, um, you know, subjected to people just giving me their opinions out of nowhere. Mm. I think that what we have to think about is how much that family have changed in culture, right? Mm. At the end of the day, we're talking about a group of women that live life on their own terms mm -hmm. and are thoughtful and kind and engaged, yet they are who they are and they mm. do what they want to do. And I think so many of us of, as women are frustrated that, you know, we can't be politically active and yet wear what we want and show what we might want. You can't show these equal sides of your personality that somehow mm. uh, there is this, you know, juxtaposition of you can only be one way well which silo can we put you in right are you smart or are you sexy or, and, and the or and the mm -hmm. or is the issue right yeah. if you are AOC and you turn up wearing a pair of hoops with a red lip suddenly we can't take you seriously if you're Emirata and you decide to go and protest outside the White House but you weren't wearing a bra that day that becomes the news story mm. as opposed to what you were actually protesting what you're before, talking right about. so yeah. I think that the idea of our company was that women are many different things. Mm -hmm. And what we decide to wear on the outside shouldn't come with this pre, you know, requisite of an idea of what we are. Yes. And so I think that what Chloe and I were trying to do right from the beginning was to say, women come in many different shapes and sizes and backgrounds and ethnicities. And what we all want is exactly the same, yeah. regardless of all of that, right? It's like, we all want to be able to feel confident. And we feel that, you know, what our choices are mm. in fashion is being completely dictated to us based on something like size. And right. that is just crazy in this day and age when we talk about female choice and female empowerment and equal pay and equal rights and women's rights. Like all of that to kind of boil down to the fact that like some, you know, probably white guy at a boardroom table in New York is deciding that at a size 18, you have to have a sleeve on a dress and it has to be bias cut and it has to come be below your knee is ludicrous like that's just insane yeah. and so I think right from the very very beginning we we just made a couple of choices and we set out 
a couple of principles for our company and then we never back down and wasn't that just the biggest thing because mm. what happens is everybody starts out with this you know grand idea and I think the big difference in Chloe and I was that as everybody says size range was too big we're not going to take that we'll just do this part we went no thank you because we were in this brilliant position where we'd already decided that the principles of the company were the most important thing mm. and that was it and you if know? it doesn't fit the principle filter it doesn't it fit. doesn't fit and Period. that's okay and 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 actually some of those decisions that were made, you know, and we were, we were so, um, what is the word? We had like such grand ideas of ourselves in the beginning, but it was this brilliant filter that we created by accident, which made decisions really easy to make. We're like, mm. oh no, you can't have it if you don't do everything. Or like, oh no, if you don't use our imagery, which shows women exactly as we believe, which is like not one type, then you can't have it. And so actually mm. sorted a lot out for us in the beginning without us having to kind of like, go back regroup and be like oh my god but this is like two million dollars of business that we're saying no to we're like doesn't fit doesn't fit off doesn't you go matter. No. so what what were the parameters you laid out and and maybe even before that how did the two of you link up and decide to do this and yeah. then and then what went on the non-negotiable list <laughs> so much so chloe and i actually we never knew each other before we started good american together mm. i knew chris jenner from my days as a you know working in entertainment-based marketing mm. um and i pitched the idea to chris for chloe so i knew that if you wanted to get something done, you know, you go to Kris Jenner and mm -hmm. you pitch her an idea and she says it's either interesting or not for one of her clients, i.e. her daughters. Um, and I told her about this idea and she kind of like half listened to me. You know, she was like, this feels good, Emma, but you'll need to pitch it to Chloe. And so at that point for me, you know, it was a decision. Like, do you fly to LA to pitch this to Chloe Kardashian? Um, and I felt so passionate about the idea that I just decided yes. And so I got into a meeting with Chloe. I showed her a couple of pages of a PowerPoint that I'd done on the plane, mm. literally on the way over. It wasn't called Good American at the time. It was like a working name. It was a terrible name. And she was like, that's a shit name. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to come up with a better one. I just, you know, I haven't got anything trademarked yet. Um, and so Chloe, it was just one of those amazing moments where someone finishes your sentence. And in that moment, I realized Chloe is the girl. She is the person that's been on this kind of cusp with these beautiful and glorious sisters of her where she's always been this fringe and this afterthought for any stylist coming in the room despite being beautiful and funny and so charming and so charismatic and she's literally like oh yeah like we'll think about what to put on her later um and so what I realized is there was such value in having Chloe involved because she'd lived this she'd been bottom of the pile she'd been in stores where they couldn't you know they didn't carry her size and she really intrinsically and this is one of Chloe's biggest strength that she really understands her fan base and our eventual customer base and so there were so many learnings that came out of her personal experiences but also her being able to tap into her fan base and you know right now we call it community management at the time it was like they're the only people that would answer us because we didn't have anything else so Chloe was very thoughtful in mm. getting the opinions of her cluster of her fan base that we then were able to almost build like mini focus groups around and really trust what they were telling us and mm. what they were looking for and and you know right from the beginning we 
we realized we were like, my goodness, you know, most model agencies don't have a board of curvy women. They were like a handful, you know, you had Ashley Graham and a couple of others. And we were like, well, we can't afford Ashley. So, you know, what are we going to do? And the open casting was Chloe's idea. She was like, why don't we just like go out on Insta and like ask people to be part of our campaign? I was like, but, but that's before launch and no one will understand. She was like, oh, they'll understand. And my God, Mm -hmm. did they understand? Because people want to know they're seen absolutely valued and and when people have not been represented or spoken to the moment you offer an open door where there was once a wall it feels so affirming it's such a beautiful thing to watch 100 and you you know you asked me about the principles and that was one of like the founding principles it was like representation matters and I remember writing it on a piece of paper and at the time you know it sounded really good it's like just two words and it was like this feels like a really strong principle but that is the guiding principle for everything that we do and it's so key representation really matters when you can see a version of yourself in a campaign in the clothes considered Mm. when it comes to sizing fit whatever it is and then to take that one step further and ensure that within your organization and you only have to look outside here we have men and women from all different backgrounds all different sizes because those opinions are what form the basis of us being able to make really good decisions that are taking our customers needs Mm -hmm. to the heart of what we do and it's not something that we say it's something that we do every single day here. Yes. And isn't it interesting when you see, because you know, you were speaking to some larger issues, representation and gender parity and equal pay. When you see actual parity, actual representation, actual diverse opinions helping to form a large decision at a company, you can do a million dollars in sales on your first day. A hundred percent. So and all, you can't otherwise. No, and right? all these people who think parity and equal pay are these like fluff moral things we're supposed to do to be nice to people. It's like, no idiots. No. We're doing it's them. It's a commercial advantage. Yes, because both are possible. It's both and. You should be good to people and look what happens when you are. Yeah. Look how much better your company gets. Look how much stronger your brand grows because it actually works for all of your customers. 100%. And I think some of the problems that we've seen, you know, and I don't want to call anyone out or name any names, but, you know, last year it felt like, you know, every single week a brand was in the public eye in a negative way for making slip ups. Mm. And these are some brands that, you know, were my clients back in my agency days. And it's like, there are not racist companies, right? You don't, you don't get like whole companies that are entirely racist. What you have is a problem in representation because if there was someone in that room Mm -hmm. going raising a hand and saying perhaps that's not such a good decision to name this this or to have this represented Mm -hmm. this way your problems would all be over and what I think at Good American is we don't do everything right we just have enough people in the room that are going to tell us and raise their hand when we're about to do something wrong and that's where Mm -hmm. it's not just a you know a principle on a piece of paper it is the way we do business every day because all people whether they mean to or not have blinders on somewhere. Of course, and and listen, and me too, right? Mm -hmm. I am not plus size. Therefore, I can't tell you when I slip into a pencil skirt if the vent needs to be at, you know, six inches or nine inches because my thighs aren't rubbing together in the same way they would if I was a size 18. But it is my job to make sure that I understand that Mm -hmm. and that I've taken the consideration and listened to someone who might have that problem. And it's not that 
difficult. You just have to have the inclination to do it. And mm. I think that, you know... You have to care enough to do it. You just have you have to care enough and you have to make it a priority. Mm. But again, what happens is that your customer or the customer comes back and resoundingly votes yes. Like, yes, please, and more of that. Because people understand when they are seen. They understand when they are properly represented. And it's not something that you can do one season for one campaign. It's either in the business or it's not, frankly. And mm. so I think that what happened at Good American is that, yes, there's a lot of it that's about the right thing at the right time. And I was being, you know, very, you know, obviously able with Chloe to get a message out in a way that most brands can't afford when they're in startup mode. Mm. But what we were doing was simply listening mm. and coming back with an answer that was what our customers, our eventual customers really needed to hear. And you mentioned that there were some retailers that would say, we don't want your whole size range yeah. because you guys go from a double zero to a size 24. Yeah. And we're expanding that now. So really? yeah, we're about to go from double zero to 32. And again, because we listened to our customers, but there were so many instances, like not one or two, like, you know, we came out with this incredible launch and we had all of these beautiful women in the campaign. And it just was this seeming like, you know, real kind of changing of the guard. It was like, we are here and this is going to be amazing. Yeah. And then everyone, called us and went we want to be part of it too and and we everyone's like, invited to the party <laughs> yeah. yeah you can all come and then they were like yeah okay great we, we'd like sizes zero through eight and you know and we only stock to a size six so this is that and we were like oh no like you you don't get it like you have to do it. and they would say things like but we just don't have the customer or, uh, you know, this, we ne we've never had, we don't have the data or the history in this size or she just doesn't exist in our business. And we literally, you know, we'd go, what are you talking about? Have you walked outside? Do you see that she exists in the world? Can you just like go out? And, and honestly, I've walked the floor with some people who shall remain nameless, very wonderful chairman of a big American department store and literally pointed and walked back into the back offices of the uh, of the department store to seal my deal. Like, look at her, look at her, look at her. She's buying shoes and handbags off of you because you don't have anything for her. And if you don't have anything for her, then she can't buy. And that's why you don't have the data. You know, you're literally having those conversations yeah, trying not to sound- You've closed the door to her. It's like, not that she's yeah, not here. Trying not to sound, you know, awful. But that those are the conversations that we've had. And then at some point you kind of grow a little weary and tired. And I'm like, you know what? When you get it, you'll get it and come back, come back yeah. for me then. See ya. Yeah. And, and sometimes <laughs> you have to, right? Because I think that what we've understood in this business is it's not enough mm. to, um, to buy into our collection. You need to wrap your head around it and you need to get on board. And that's a lot right. of investment. That's, you know, backroom space, hangers, mannequins, all the things that you need to do to be able to properly represent what it is that Good American stands for. So knowing all of this, where do you think that the fashion industry needs to go? Or if you could, you know, fantasy land here, wave a magic wand and implement a first change, what would it be? That's a really good question. I mean, I think that one of the most important things is for businesses to look internally, right? I'm not saying that every company has, you know, has to make changes overnight. I think that the the reality is that we're all in business and everybody knows that if you're not doing this 
currently there are costs associated and sometimes we all know at board level there's not always the room to suddenly say hey we believe we're totally overlooking this customer and therefore we're going to take a massive dip in our margins and therefore our profit line and and not you know uh, to be able to service this customer so like let's just talk about the business reality it's not easy for everybody and good american has a huge advantage because size inclusivity was baked into our business from day one and that isn't the reality for everyone else. I think the biggest thing that businesses can do is take a look internally and check your workforce, right? Mm -hmm. Does your workforce all look like you is the first question to answer because the decisions that you'll make and the priorities of those decisions will be dictated by the feedback that you're getting internally. And if you all look the same and you're all from the same place Mm. and that happens to be a very tiny little village in the middle of Europe, that's probably not going to work for the rest of the wide world, which is changing and progressing at such a rate that you will render yourselves completely redundant. And so I think the to future-proof any business, and I'm talking really specifically in fashion right now, I think that you've got to be able to do the internal hard work and figure out like, are we truly representative of a global marketplace and are we setting ourselves up? And then the rest will become very apparent, right? You either want to continue to have the business that you have or you're in the business of being in business and you want to grow and that has to change and shift and and move with the times. And so I think it all becomes a really easy decision once you're able to have the honest conversations. Mm, I really like that. And you mentioned, you know, the ethos was baked into the business. And obviously, you had an incredible marketing tool with Chloe's social profiles. But how do you think social media has impacted the business? Because again, it's not just her marketing. Your customers are marketing for yeah. you because they like the way they feel in your clothes. They feel seen. How do you how do you see the sort of ripple effect of social here? You know, it's amazing because we really, we never set out to build a community. A community gathers around a single purpose and people loved what we were saying and what we were doing. But mm. most importantly, they loved the way it made them feel made them feel Mm. and you know Chloe as wonderfully brilliant as she is you know we make a premium product here jeans go from 99 to 199 dollars and there are products below and above that but for the most part what people are buying into is denim and you know as wonderfully lovely as Chloe is you're not going to come back time and time again to spend 150 bucks on a pair of jeans if they don't do what you expect them to do so people have to love the product and we are a product obsessed company we don't go into categories unless we really feel like we can innovate in and around fit and fabrication and we don't just do things without a lot of thought and a lot of development Mm. um and so going back to your your point you know building a community of people that are advocates for your brand wasn't really ever something that we set out to do all we said and again it was in those principles in the beginning it's like we're always going to listen to her because as a woman you know you always want to be listened to Mm. and so we were like we're going to listen to her but we're going to make decisions in our business based on what she's saying and now we know that's like looking at the data and making decisions based on data but at the time it was like we're just going to listen and whatever she tells us we're going to take that and we'll make decisions back in the business based on it and out of that comes a very very loyal community because they are literally invested 
in the company they're saying I listen like we love what you do like can you make some dresses and we're like okay like do you want sleeves like do you want the mini like what do you want them to look like and so some of that stuff that again was done in a very naive way of like give her what she wants and she's going to come and buy it really informs the way that we do business in a much broader way now Mm. um, and has fostered this idea of community participation and people really being loyal to good American because we listen to what they want and 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 growing and extending sizes was one of those things it was like look I love what you're doing but I'm bigger than a size 24 I need that and so we first thing actually we did was go down in sizes was we were missing like much slimmer women and then we've also now about to go up you've expanded in both directions directions. which is so great it's so so cool both directions and both lengths like super tall and super short yeah and you mentioned Going into dresses, you know, obviously you launched denim and now you've expanded into activewear, Mm -hmm. you're doing bodysuits, you're doing other clothing. Are there other arenas that you think the brand will go in? You know, I'm sure there will be, but we have a pretty strict like idea of ourselves, right? Good American does something very specific and Mm. we are literally obsessed with fit. Like that's all we talk about in this company. Like stuff has to fit. Mm. Um, And so our ethos is really, you know, Denim is a very specific fabrication. Active wear is all about a very specific fabrication. So when you can put those two things together and innovate around fit and fabrication, then we can be in the category. I can't make sunglasses. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, that's not going to work. And so thank you to those lovely licensed companies that come and ask us, but that's not what we do. And so I think that if we, d- if we think that we can bring something to the party and really look at where the fringes of the business are and how we can capture that and, and really work in a truly inclusive way, then yeah. we'll do it. But also, you know, we it takes us a really long time to get something right. The other thing is Chloe and I are women, so we have to want to wear it before we put it out there. And so, yes. you know, like trying sports bras, we were like, no, no, no. And so, you know, sometimes something that you have all good intentions, like active wear, we were like, we didn't get it right for ages and we still have lots of work to do. And we're very honest with ourselves. We're like, we're constantly challenging ourselves ourselves to make things better and to take on feedback and you know that takes a long time so you can't just you know run into things all the time yeah but I think that that's wonderful to to be willing to work something until you're proud of it and then even when you're proud of it to say I'm going to keep working to improve it yeah and I think that's one of the single biggest things you know of course I've been you know we're all very aware of the climate crisis and um, really trying to make our companies fit for the next kind of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so for us, really what we've been focused on for the last two years is building towards a more sustainable future. And that is difficult mm-hmm. when you make stretchy jeans, <laughs> right? It's like inherently difficult. And mm-hmm. so we've tried to put a lot of energy and resource and know-how, which we didn't have ourselves internally, into literally shifting our entire business. And that's been a priority for us. And it's hard. Like, you know, it's not it's yeah. not so easy. You know, our business is built, built on a, a fabric base and we own a lot of fabric. And so, you know, you also don't want to be wasteful about things. Um, but we have looked very uh, long and hard. And by the end of this year, 90% of our offering in denim will be 100% sustainable, which is really exciting for us. That's incredible. Um, but again, you go, it's like, it's a whole new world and it's learning. And the last thing we wanted to do was rush out and tell everyone like, we've made it, like we're changing the world. We're not, we're just making jeans that are slightly better 
than what we were making before um, because we're taking a more thoughtful approach. And so for us, that's probably been something that's been a, a big learning here. But I think that makes a customer also feel good about investing in a product. Not only are you considering them, but you're considering the planet. And I know for me, when I think about moving forward in the in the next stages of my life, I I shop differently than I used to because 100, of this. 100%. And I think, you know, it's so interesting when you have small children because they're so much more woke than, than we are, right? Yeah. They, um, they really put you to the test. And so I think it's, you know, in everything we do in our organization, you know, we're, we're a direct consumer business. We send out hundreds and tens of thousands of packages and so you know there are lots of things that we could do but again it takes a while and so when I say we worked on it for I want to say 18 months to two years it's coming up to two years now it was there were a lot of individual steps it wasn't like how do you make stretchy jeans that use no water and have a much better uh you know much less polluting process on them how do you make less sizes? How do you change all the packaging that the denim comes in? How do you use sustainable packaging that goes out in your warehouses? How do you mm. become a paper-free company? How do you do all of this while still trying to be an amazing startup that, you know, the investors that you brought on board, it's still what you promised them. And so, right. you know, there's a lot to take into consideration. And for that, I've been able to rely on lots of great people because I am one of these people that's very good at seeking help so I just phone people up and go hi you lot are the best at this how how does this work <laughs> I love that you inspire yeah. me to ask more people for oh, and pe- well, people love to talk about themselves and how great they are so actually <laughs> it's really easy if you get on the phone to the right person they'll be like oh yeah like I'll tell you everything let me tell so you all about it let me this. tell you about how amazing I am <laughs> that's really a good yeah. way to think about it for sure I I think you know, there's there's a lot of culturing out there that sort of makes us all feel like we ha- we have to each be an island. Yeah, that, that's a thing the opposite, that I'm working right? on getting over. Um, but people want connection. Yeah. Like I feel like, look, we're all human at the end of the day, and what we thrive off of, and the way we do the best things. Like it's never singular. Like whatever I'm doing, I hope someone does it better so that we can go over there and learn from them and again I just think the world's changing the best businesses are ones that are you know highly collaborative and go out there and spread the word of what they're doing you know I wasn't upset when people started photographing you know their e-com on three different size models I was like we were the first like that's amazing I'm so glad like that's a great thing. And yeah. so I think if you're, whenever you're doing something really well, there are going to be, you know, people that come behind you and that's, that's completely fine. And I feel like yeah. sharing information and growing the footprint of what we're doing is part of the mission. It's part of the entire purpose that it becomes more than just us. Yeah. And it's really exciting. It is exciting. It's so nice. So my favorite question to ask everyone who comes <laughs> on the podcast, it's called work in progress. Oh, and I'm curious I when you know this. So oh, what, yeah. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> oh God. I know. I'm curious when you hear the phrase, what springs to mind, whether it's big or small, that is a work in progress in your life? God. Well, I, I am a work in progress. You know, I I don't know. I'm always one of these people that I didn't I didn't know this question. And I, you know, I think of my whole life as a work in progress and I'm fine with it. I think so. For women, there's just so much pressure all the time. Mm -hmm. And I hate to paint a picture of like, oh, you know, you do so much. You have these businesses, you have these cute kids and you have a marriage. And it's like, no, I have the same shit as everyone else. Mm -hmm. 
I just am very accepting of the fact that I am a work in progress and I'm not supposed to have it all figured out. And that's why life is long. Like I'm supposed to improve my diet and become plant-based and for that to be really difficult because I love meat. Mm. Like, because I am a work in progress. I'm not supposed to have this whole mum thing figured out because my kids are their own people and me being a mum is a work in progress. And I, I've just come to the point in my life where I think if I'm not, if I was doing everything right and not learning, like how boring would that be? Like I'm fine with things not being fine. I'm fine with the fact that I go up and down on a daily basis and have varying degrees of how I feel about myself. Mm. And I think that that's all right. Like that's how, that's how things are supposed to be. And so I'd never want to be the person that is seemingly got it all figured out. I think the day that happens, like you might as well lay down and die you know it's like my whole being my entire existence everything that I do everything I put out everything I touch is a work in progress and that's all right like I'm fine with it I love that because the way that you frame it makes it feel like a rallying cry rather than a mountain you're never going to climb yeah like it's you know because perspective absolutely it's, and, and it really is perspective you know I'm a very very focused very ambitious woman I have always been you know and I am ruthless about my goals and you know what I get done you know so many people say oh my god Emmy you get so much done in a day it's like yeah because I really like put myself and my goals like first (laughs) you know it's like for me you know ambition isn't just something that I say uh you know I'm an ambitious person it's like no I'm super focused on getting what I need to fulfill me that's important Mm. and therefore I prioritize it and I work towards it furiously but I also know you know it's like I'm 37 now and I had so many things that just didn't work out and you don't get the lesson straight away like those lessons come two years later, three years later, 10 years later sometimes, but they always, if you're not broken by them and you're able to go, I'm going to put that in a box because one day I'll figure out what that actually meant to me. Then they come back and you realize, goodness, like I am a work in progress. And all of that hurt, hardship, disappointment, you know, letting yourself down actually comes back to feed you in another way. And if you can think of it like that, and of course you don't in the moment, but when you can understand that that actually is just part of life and constantly evolving, then, you know, you can just be a little bit more at peace with yourself. You know, I'd Mm. love to be one of these women that wakes up and does like a 20 minute meditation. Like, I find it hard to say three things that I'm grateful for without something else popping in my head. But, you know, it's like, Mm. I think it's a work in progress. Like I'm getting better at that. I'm better than I was last year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, it's interesting. And it all counts. It all counts. Like every little bit counts. But, you know, again, it's just not being so hard on yourselves and being really honest. That's why I love... I just, I keep saying the same thing, but I do love to have these conversations because I feel like it's entirely comforting to think that you can have really crap jobs. You can go from crap job to worse job to something not working out to having a company where you think things are going to go well and they kind of only go half well to making a bunch of mistakes Mm. to then, you know, going back to something that you don't think is that inspiring. And then one day things work out. And then even when they do work out, there are challenges every day in that you know no one comes to me with the good news here everything is a problem <laughs> you know, no one gets me involved when things are going great they come to me going oh my god this happened and I'm like come on 
on. Like, yeah. What are you talking about? But that's part of it, right? It's like, that's life. Yeah. That's work. <laughs> and it's all wrapped up. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, my dears. Lovely. This show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. This episode was edited by Matt Sasaki. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy.